Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you please open them to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Church, Let's Rise Up. Now, this section of Scripture is often used when there is a building project. On. We've used it many times here as we've had different building projects where, come on, let's come together. Let's be in unity. Let's rise up, church. But Today I want to speak to this. I'm going to use this, and I believe God wants to speak to us spiritually. We have no big building project planned, and really we don't know what 2021 will bring, but we do know that God wants us to get up. Because I think that part of 2020, some of you have fallen and strayed away. You've gotten your eyes off of the Lord because it's been a difficult year, and there have been many opportunities to veer off to the left or to the right, because I don't think any of us would disagree that we're living in the most interesting of times. Words like unprecedented, extraordinary, unparalleled, they all describe 2020. The year 2020 will go down in the history books as well. I don't quite know yet because 2020 is not over yet, but it has been interesting. You have all of the regular issues and things that we go through, the pain, the sorrows, the grief, the warfare. You know, we've all had regular life. Uh, it's like a marriage in crisis. When I'm speaking to a marriage in crisis and they're in deep crisis, it, part of our discussion with them will be reminding you that there are normal marriage issues and there are issues that are made worse by the crisis. And I think that's true in our lives. There are normal issues in our lives. There, there are normal things we've had to deal with this year, normal things that would happen to believer and unbeliever alike. But there's also been crisis issues. You know, we had COVID and uh, corresponding restrictions. We've had governmental overreach. We've had more globalism. We've had a very uh, interesting election cycle. We've had very difficult racial tensions. We've had believers acting like unbelievers. We, we've seen great damage done to the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. But not only that, we've seen people hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually. I can't think of a time in the 21 years, and by the way, yesterday was our 21-year birthday as a church. And yesterday we started 21 years ago. In the 21 years I've been here, we've seen a lot of hurt, a lot of damage, a lot of division, a lot of that, but I've never seen the church so divided than I have this year. Not even over theological things. It's not even over, nobody, we're not even finding people arguing about doctrine. It's about other, not even secondary things, but so divisive and so fighting one another and biting and devouring one another. And it's been hard. In many ways, even institutions that once we viewed as strong and reliable and even impenetrable have been weakened and even destroyed. When you look around, what do you see? Well, let me ask that question in a different way. Are you looking around at all? Now, as I'm describing some of these things, they're all familiar to you. You've experienced them. You've seen them. But do you see them with spiritual eyes? Or is it just the physical you're responding to? When you look around, 
how do you look around and what do you see? Because how you see will determine how you behave and how you respond. When you look around, do you see the sin that has so destroyed lives? Do you see the poverty, the pain? Do you see the crime? Do you see the lost? The answer to these questions really determine the course of your life as you serve the Lord. Remember, when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he cried. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw opportunity. Of course, the disciples, they just saw, you know, we can't feed them. We don't know what to do with them. But Jesus said, no, we're going to take care of them. They're hungry and tired. And how we see the world will determine how we respond. And I have to say that many, many believers, perhaps even some of you, have seen 2020 unfold and you've only seen the physical. And you've responded in the physical and it hasn't done much for the cause of Jesus Christ or the gospel. You, you've fallen, maybe even fallen away. You know, the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And the clarion call for our church, you know, I've shared this before. I'm not responsible for every single church and the church at large, but I am going to answer to God for this church and my responsibility in leading and teaching this church. And I believe the call of God for our church is it's time to rise up with spiritual eyes and a spiritual heart. Because I'll tell you what, 2020, years like 2020, episodes like 2020 have a way of hardening hearts where you don't see things the way God sees them anymore. And you don't care. You just don't care. And you're upset because the election didn't go the way you wanted it. And you're upset because the restrictions and, and you're upset. And now all of a sudden the church is just known as being mad all the time. It's like, what are you so mad about? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for you and rose again. He rests. So many of us have a testimony. We were rescued from the very pit of pits of pits. What are you so upset about? The church's reputation has become one where they, they think that the government's the only one in control. So people are all freaking out. Well, this guy said this and this guy said that. The Bible is very clear, as you'll see in a moment with Nehemiah. God is bigger than any government. And he will use every government for his purposes. Nobody's going to thwart the will of God. God is going to use every situation in your life and mine to accomplish his will. But here's the thing. Will we cooperate? Will we be a part of it? When you see and how you see is so important, church. Please hear me out. Nehemiah, he was asking questions in chapter one. In chapter one, he asked the question, how's the city doing? I think it's a great question. How's the city doing? You could say that today. How's Aurora? How's Denver? How's Lakewood? How's Evergreen? How's the city doing? And listen, listen to the answer in verse two of chapter one. Han and I, one of my brethren, came with men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped to survive captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in, and he looked at two things, great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah was a sharp man, and he understood that cities are filled with people. And he wanted to know, how are the people, and how's the city? And the answer was twofold. Number one, the people are in great distress. And number two, the people are under great reproach. Great distress, 
great reproach. Now, great distress has to do with the people individually, their, their own response, their own life. They are in great distress. And if there is a phrase to describe the people of our country, of our city, really globally, they're under great distress. It's been very hard, very challenging, unbelievable how and what we face this year. Great distress, but also great reproach. Now, great distress is personal. Great reproach is spiritual. It's their reputation that they carry toward God. So, so because of how they've responded, because of what they've got, you know, for the people in Jerusalem, the reason why the walls are all down is because they don't care. You know, as you study Ezra, you study Nehemiah, you find out that the people there are idolatrous, they're apathetic, they're self-centered. They don't care about the walls. They don't care about the temple. They don't care. As a matter of fact, if you study through the rest of Nehemiah, you find out that they don't care so much about the glory of God, and they, care, they don't care so much about each other that they're taking advantage of each other. They're ripping each other off, taking them, but they don't care. They don't care. And it takes somebody that cares to minister to people that don't care. Because if we just become a church that doesn't care or cares about the wrong things, then we're going to find ourselves in a place where broken wall, down walls and the temple wasn't rebuilt and the people are languishing in great distress. They're hurting. But Nehemiah cares because he asks. And so notice in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, so, when it, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Have you fasted lately? Have you mourned over the condition of our city, of our country, of our world? It's much easier to get angry about it, isn't it? It's much easier to point the finger. You know, you could look at this and say, well, of course they're in distress. They don't care. It's their fault. Let them deal with the consequences of their own sin. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you don't care anymore. It's like, yeah, they deserve it. That's what they get. That's, that's what happens when you don't follow God or you don't care about God. Or, you know, think of a popular one, you know, the, the homeless situation. It's just increasing like you wouldn't believe. And it's easy for people that, well, they're homeless because they don't need it. They need to get a job. And it's just a response like, well, have you talked to them? How do you know their story? Have you gone up and talked to them and asked them questions about their life? Has you offered to not only give them a meal, but buy them a meal and sit down and talk about their lives? I bet you they have a story. I know they have a story as I've spoken to them. They have a life. And even if it is because of their own bad decisions, didn't you live in a way once where your own bad decisions caught up to you? Well, mine did. And I'm grateful for someone that cares. What's happened to the church during a trying time? What's happened to us? Where we're in reproach, we're not representing the love of God. We're not weeping over our city. When's the last time you fasted over what you saw in the news? Over the rising plague of the damage to sin that sin causes in people's lives. That's really the root of it. You know, when you walk in the Spirit, everything you touch and everything you do touches eternity. It lasts. 
But if you live only for this world and you're caught up in these things of this world and all of the things that don't last and that won't outlive you, if you just live for today and you live for the toys of today and the pleasure and the power and the position and you just living for today, you can expect corruption. You can expect thievery. Remember Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves come in and steal. You, you don't live. You have an eternal purpose. You have a destiny, church, to impact people's lives for all of eternity. And the city, you know, you, you think, well, Ed, what's the big deal about walls? Who cares about walls? Like we don't, in our minds, we can't think, we don't have walls surrounding Aurora. We don't have walls surrounding Denver. But in the ancient world, walls were super important to the safety and security of a city. They were the key piece of safety and security. So for walls to be broken down, listen, for walls to be broken down, they would leave the people vulnerable and less safe and less secure. They were vulnerable to all of the people that would want to take advantage of them all the people that would want to hurt them, all their enemies, and there were plenty of enemies. We meet a couple today in our text. There are always enemies of the people of God. And one of the ways the door is open to destroy lives is to break down the walls. And so what's happening, the walls of our community are being broken down. Things that we once trusted in, they are no longer valued. We're no longer looking up to them, no longer valuing. You know, you think of the, the cries to defund police, you know, that we were teaching our kids not too many years ago to trust the police. We still teach them that they're there for your good. Sure, there are people that make bad decisions, but they're few and far between. But now we live in a culture that says, no, no, you don't need that. You can't trust in the church. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust in the police officers or the people, the structures, that the, everything that you once kind of held on to and said, you know, this is the right thing. Like, like we're living in unprecedented days. And, you know, in a church that teaches the Bible and in a church that teaches prophecy, one of the things that puzzles me is I don't understand why everybody's freaking out. We know this is going to happen. I, I don't understand. Like, oh, no, what's happening? I think, what's, I think I've, I've hit it where, you know, praying through it and thinking through it. I think what's happening is there's a piece where, you know, I, I, I just, I'm freaking out because I didn't think it was going to be my generation. <laughs> I believe it's going to happen. I just didn't think I was going to see it with my own eyes. But it, the Bible has already spoken about perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves. That, that people will betray one another. That even family disintegration. And you, you I mean, it, the Bible is, this is no surprise except that we are seeing it with our own eyes. And we're a generation that's being called to a higher level of living as believers. It's our generation. It's a privilege to be in this generation. This is what God's called us to. You were born for this church. You were born to be alive right now, seeing and experiencing all that you're seeing and experiencing. Why? For the gospel. Lives. The greatest issue, as we saw in, uh, in our Christmas service, the greatest issue is sin. So God sent a Savior, and we get to represent Him. You know, it's easy for us as we think through this and think, well, you know, God is using Nehemiah. He's going to use Nehemiah. Very encouraging. However, you know, Nehemiah is a man of God. Of course, 
God uses men and women of God. It doesn't make, of course, we, we, all, we know that already. We, we see a faithful brother or sister here and you go, you know what? God's hand's upon her. God's going to use her in a great way. Or God's hand's upon him. I could see God using. That doesn't surprise us. But does God use unbelievers? Say it out loud. Yes or no, church? Yes. Does he use unbelieving government officials? Yeah, but the church is freaking out. When government officials make decisions that they're not saved, they don't love God, and all their decisions speak of hatred toward God. And the church goes, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Why? This world doesn't like the church. Did you know that? The world doesn't like the church. Jesus said, they hated me. So be, just don't be surprised when they hate you. I don't, I don't understand what it is about the church that wants the approval of man. We don't need the approval of man. You know, there's been a phrase that's become super popular uh, among the church in 2020, and it's like the church has got signs and they're posing, church is essential, church is essential, church is essential. Listen, if we have to say that, we have not shown the world how essential we are. If we have to call, oh, church is essential, of course it's essential. Jesus created the church. But let me suggest this to you. And I understand this may be unpopular, but receive it. Pray over it. I don't believe, personally, biblically, that the church is as essential just coming together in one room. Like, that's the big deal. It's a big deal. Don't misunderstand me. We're not to neglect the coming together and worshiping. That's not what I'm saying. But this isn't as important. The church isn't as essential coming together for an hour and a half in a building as it is essential when you walk out those doors and live out the life of Jesus Christ in your community. That's the essential church. It's not just settling, well, you know, please let us gather together. Look, we will unlock the doors. If you want to gather together, we will be here. We don't need to ask permission. We're here. It's not a declaration that we're essential. Just be essential. Step into people's lives, church. Some of you are just so close to reaching someone. You're that close. Like I think, I think of how close you are to reaching your boss with the gospel. Your boss. He would never sit in here. She would never come here. Never tune into the radio. But you were just in her office being reprimanded. That close. I can't get into her office. But because you're messing up at work, you're in her office all the time. <laughs> you're right there. Think about it. You are so close to ministering to your neighbor, right? Right there. You share a fence or not. You are so close. But if we get caught up in things, like if you're not praying and fasting and weeping over the lostness of this world, you're just going to miss it. You know, God, he will use people. He'll use people that love him, but he'll use people that don't. Like the, the people that are making decisions, you know, government officials, uh, like the church is acting like they're the last word. They're not the last word. God is greater. God is greater. He is sovereign over every country, every nation. And the history of the Bible is that God will use even the worst of rulers to accomplish his purposes on the earth. Nobody's going to undermine God. Not even Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh, he is enslaving the people of God. The worst of the worst. The whole nation is under the thumb of Pharaoh, the world ruler. Do you know how close Pharaoh was to becoming a part of the plan of God in a good way? Do you know how close he was? 
He was so beloved of God, Pharaoh was. Pharaoh was a wicked, evil man. He was a baby killer. He was wicked, evil man. But God loved him so much that he sent him a personal messenger with a message just for Pharaoh. He didn't send Moses to someone else. He didn't send Moses to another country. This man, Pharaoh, received a message directly from God through Moses and Aaron, directly, over and over, giving him chance after chance after chance. And Pharaoh resisted, hardened his heart. And you know what? God still accomplishes will. Pharaoh didn't want to be a part of it. God still accomplishes will. Because what was the will of God? Get the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was his will. What happened? The children of Israel left Egypt. What happened to Pharaoh? He died with the army. But God used Pharaoh. Could have used him cooperating. Could have used him anyway. I think of in the Bible where God used King Cyrus. God used Cyrus to release his people from Babylon in Ezra chapter 1. I think of Caesar in the first century. He is the one that gave the decree the governmental decree that moved, even though they probably didn't want to move, moved Mary and Joseph to be at the right place at the right time. Why? To fulfill prophecy, to bring forth the Messiah. God used Caesar of all people. God used the Roman centurions not once but twice to save Paul's life. And he can use people and authority right now in your life and mine for his purposes, his will, his work in your life. It's so encouraging to me. If we just stop at the human level, we will be discouraged. But when we begin to pray and we ask God for wisdom, when we start to cry over the sin-soaked world that we live in, God will speak to us, which he does to Nehemiah. And notice what Nehemiah does in chapter 2 now. Pick up in verse 9. Nehemiah 2, verse 9. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, and when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. Interesting. This is a beautiful thing, because Nehemiah prayed, Nehemiah wept, Nehemiah mourned, and Nehemiah acted. That's often what's left. What's left in your life perhaps right now is for you to act on what God has told you to do, to act on it. You, maybe you've prayed and, and God has spoken to you and you weep, you wept over something and you're just like, okay, so now what's needed is to do it. Like James said, right? That we would have not only faith, but works. That we would do what God has told us to do. That we would step in an obedience. And as soon as he steps out and obeys, what does he meet? And who does he meet? These guys. You could call them enemies of God. Their names sound like enemy names. Have you ever walked through the mall and heard some mom say, Samballot, Samballot, where are you? No, it's just like nobody names their kids Samballot or, to- well, maybe Tobiah, maybe Toby. But if you're a Tobiah here, be a good one and not a bad one. And then later we're going to meet a guy named Gershom, but he's the Arab and he has been an enemy of God. You know, a lot of times people don't act because they're afraid. You're afraid. The enemy meets you right there, wants to take you down. 
You see, the enemies don't care about the people of God. When they hear somebody came to help, they're deeply disturbed. In the New Living Translation, it translates that very angry. And in the Message Translation, it translates very upset. The enemies of God are upset when you start caring about people. If, you, if, the, if the enemies of God can get you in a place where you don't care about people, then you'll be fine. They'll leave you alone. But the moment you start to care and act, the enemy is right there to push back on you. I don't want people taken care of. I don't want them loved. I don't want... You leave them alone. And a lot of times you don't act because you just don't want to deal with the warfare. The enemies of God don't care about the people of God. While the city was weak and vulnerable, the enemies were quiet. But now there's strong opposition. The opposition wasn't when Nehemiah was in Persia. The opposition happened when he showed up in Jerusalem. You know, whenever you show up in the midst of a difficult situation, the enemy will be there to meet you, to resist you, to discourage you, to accuse you, ultimately trying to destroy you. But don't forget this. The enemies of God don't care about the people of God. And one of the prayers as leaders, pastors and elders this year, one of the prayers that, that we have relied upon is asking God whether this is the mind of Christ. Does this, is, is this the thinking of Christ? Because if it is, then we want to do it. But if it isn't, we don't want anything to do with it. And you can just see some of the decisions and some of the things that are around us, they're just not the mind of Christ. So we don't receive them. I don't accept them. Oh, I know that there will be times where there may be some kind of mandate that comes around and we need to choose to obey God and not man, for sure. And we've seen that a couple times this year for us. We're going to choose to obey God and not man, for sure, no problem. But you know, most of the time, that's not the decision that's laid before us. The decisions that are laid before us is simply this. Do you care about people and what are you going to do about it? That's really the decision that comes upon us all the time. Do you really care? Do you really see can you see what's happening? Do you see the plate being set by God for the church to step into people's lives? Can you see that, God, that people are vulnerable and being taken advantage of and being hurt and being, and it doesn't matter who's doing it. What's the church doing to minister to people? What's our church doing? You know, we don't make a big deal about what we do globally as a church. All the churches we support, missionaries we support, all those things. That, 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 that's just the regular life of the church. The real answer is, what are you doing to demonstrate how essential you are in the community? You know, right now the church is in the crosshairs of government. And there are people right now planning and plotting to do great harm to the church. And to want, because when they see the church, they just see a liability. Really, when somebody looks at this church, some government officials, they look at this church, they just see a liability. They just see a piece of property that doesn't pay taxes. They, they, see, they see here that all we do is take from the community and not give. Because they don't see the truth. They don't understand that every single person sitting in this room pays their taxes. I hope. <laughs> but they don't care. Because they don't have the mind of Christ. So when you don't care, you don't have the mind of Christ, what do you expect? What do you expect? I expect the world to be the world. And I expect the church to be the church. And that we not forget that God's called us to plant churches. 
And we don't forget that God's called us to send missionaries. And we don't forget that God sent us into very difficult places with very difficult circumstances so that we can follow the lead of Nehemiah. Is it possible that even one guy can make a change? Yes, this one guy. He left everything that was comfortable, everything that he enjoyed. And he said, I think God wants me to go help the people in Jerusalem. So I'm going. Now he was planning to come back and indications in Nehemiah that he ended up going back, but he, was, he left. He left the comfortable, easy life that he had to go help difficult people. And when he gets there, he finds out it was far more difficult than what was shared with him. Way worse. And yet he finished the task. You know, it was about a year ago, January 4th and 5th, 2020, that I launched off in the new year, 2020, in a series that we called, Into Faith We Go. You guys remember that? Into Faith We Go. Go ahead and quote to me exactly what I said in that first message. Oh, you don't remember. I have my notes right here. Let me read it to you. You ready? Here's the exact line that I started my message off in January 5th, 2020. Second service. One thing God has never allowed us to do is to settle down in places of comfort and ease. 2020. One thing God has never allowed us, and I believe that to be true. It hasn't been anything like this past year, but one thing I've seen in the life of this church is he's never allowed us to settle down in places of comfort and ease. That's always a dangerous place, I said. It's too easy, I said. To settle down in our little areas of comfort and ease and predictability and complacency, idleness and faithlessness, where we think things are okay. We feel like things are going well, but we haven't been in that living, vibrant faith walk with Jesus for some time. So that if we're in a comfortable place and we think things are going well, and we're not in that vibrant faith walk with Jesus, then I said, things are not okay. It's not okay to live that way. All the while, Jesus is calling us to come and follow him. And the way to discover God's will, the way to discover God's will is the same today as it always has been, taking steps of faith. Now, one thing we've learned this year is that taking steps of faith is not always dependent upon us and our choices. Many times we are faced with situations that require us to respond in faith, or faithlessness. That's a lesson I've seen in a deeper way this previous year. It's not always us. Let's take a step of faith, church. Let's go launch off. You know, we've looked at different things as a church, buying new property, moving from here to another place in Aurora. We've been looking at, and always the doors have been closed for the last couple of years. Because we'll just take a step of faith. We've been trying to buy a third radio station down in the Doors have been closed for five years. And don't tell, I mean, really, we've been knocking like you wouldn't believe. And this door slammed in our face. We're taking steps of faith. We want to reach the lost. We want to do more. We want to send more missionaries. We want to send more church planners. And a lot of times we're making those decisions, but God sometimes will allow circumstances to say, hey, will you trust me in this? And here we are at the end of the year having to assess where we are and where we've been. Nehemiah, he shows up and all hell breaks loose. The enemies of God are angry that, hey, while the church doesn't care, 
while churches choose to stay closed, while churches are filled with people or people don't want to be a part of, they don't want to press in anymore, the enemies of God will quiet down. It's when you rise up and you begin to embrace the call of God upon your life that you can expect opposition. And opposition is, is real. Enemies are real. And you just got to expect it. It's going to happen. It's just the way it is. Can't sidestep it. Notice what happens in verse 12. He says, I arose at night and a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So just pause there for a second. If you haven't marked this, make sure you highlight this. So I know we've studied Nehemiah in depth, but highlight this. The work of God in Nehemiah was not in his head. It was in his heart. God birthed something inside his emotions, his connection to the living God, weeping and crying and mourning. Those are all emotions, you know. God is not anti-emotion at all. He uses our emotions. And here he is, God's working in Nehemiah's heart. That's the place that only God can touch. A pastor can't touch the heart. A parent can't touch the heart. A grandparent can't touch the heart. But God touches the heart. That's the why prayer is so vital. Praying that God would touch hearts. Even praying up to this message, knowing how challenging it may be for some of us. My heart and my prayer has been, Lord, touch the hearts of your church. Touch the hearts of those on the radio and those watching online. Touch hearts, Lord. That's what we need. We need our heart touched by the Holy Spirit. We need to respond like Isaiah did. It says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Purify me. Change me. I don't want to waste 2020, church, for me personally. And as a pastor, I don't want our church to waste this year. God has taught us a lot of lessons. I know there's this sense of, we want to go back to normal. We want to go back to normal. We want to go back to normal. We're not going back to normal, church. Normal doesn't exist. God is doing a new thing, and he's changing us. Oh, I get it. I would like some more regularity for sure. I would like some of the restrictions to be lifted. Absolutely. But God's not taking us back to normal. He's taking us back to something that's supernatural. He wants us to go above and beyond. He wants us to forget the past, not looking backwards, but looking forward, forgetting those things that are behind and that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know how many years in your whole heart in in this room has been wasted by God, but 2020 could be the first year that the waste ends and you embrace everything that God has for you and learn every lesson and move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, returning to normal kind of implies that things are going to get easier. Things are not going to get easier. I get in my heart that this was a test run of something greater. I get in my heart that this was a test run of what those in, a, in authorities could get away with to see what they could get away with. And I believe spiritually it was a test for the church to say, what will you guys do when so many people are in distress? So many people lost lives this year. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost their purpose. That there's so many people are hurting. Where's the church? We have to rise up. And step into the hurt in people's lives. So that God could use us. He comes to Jerusalem. The rest of it, he's looking at everything. He's checking everything out. He didn't tell anybody at verse 16. Jump into verse 17. And when I said to them, this is at the end of his, he came, he heard, then he saw. What he saw, he answers in verse 17. You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. 
Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them, verse 18, of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. And, and let's pause there because, you know, the way to get through tough times is start to tell people how good God has been to you. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine this little testimony? You won't believe what God did. I heard about that and I didn't know what to do. I wasn't sure. But then I started praying and I prayed right there and I just like told him and he goes, okay, go. And not only did he go, but he gave me letters and he gave me things and he gave me money and he gave me protection. And here I am. Let's do this. God sent me here. You can walk with the authority of God as you walk into people's lives. You could say, man, God has been so good to me and God sent me here for you. I'm here for you on behalf of God. And you see Nehemiah, he was so concerned about the reproach. We want to bring God's glory back. We want to bring back people's attention upon not an angry, upset group of people that say, we're the church, we're essential, but rather a group of people that are humble and broken and walking in the pain and problems of others to bring about glory, take away the reproach and bring about salvation. Isn't that the answer? The answer is save lives. And that's how families change. And that's how communities change. And, and that's how governments change. That, that changes by salvation. <laughs> what is their answer? They said, let's rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. And that's what I'm asking you to consider, church. Let's rise up and build. I don't know what 2021 brings, 2021 brings as much as you do, but I'm ready to rise up and build. I'm ready to take on the next challenge. I'm ready to walk by faith. I know some decisions will be hard. I know some decisions will be unpopular. That's just the way it is. When you're serving God in unpredictable times, not everything's going to go our way. Not everything's going to happen the way we want. Not everything's going to line up according to our five-year plan or our 10-year plan. But the Lord is just teaching us, you need to trust in me. I think that's a big thing that I've seen too in many people. Like the biggest angst that has been felt among many, to many is that, that they don't have the things they thought they had control over, they really don't have control over. And God's saying, but don't you still trust me? The God that's in control, right? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Christians were really good at having all these sayings, but then the Lord allows things to come up and say, well, do you even believe the saying? And you go, yeah, I, I, I think I do. And then God says, well, this is what it said. This is what it feels like. You know, you got that little uh, bumper sticker and whatever saying it is. And then the Lord says, well, but this is what it feels like. And you go, yes, Lord, I, I trust you. I stumbled a little bit. I even fell, maybe straight away. But though a man fall, he'll rise again. And I'm glad that the leaders and these men said, let's rise up and build. That's not a natural response. It's a supernatural response. What God has been doing in Nehemiah for many, many months now, God was able to do in the elders in moments. God's been working on Nehemiah for a while, but when he comes with the message, they all agree in moments. That's how fast God can work in a life. That's how fast he can change. After years of doing nothing, after years of idolatry, they're under the burden of Babylon. After years of apathy and laziness, in an instant, God sends a messenger and they change. And how quickly God can take something and change it. 
So fast. So fast. And it's going to be great. Again, this could be, verse 19 could be, and they lived happily ever after. That's not what it says. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, Geshem, the Arab, when they heard of it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You know, the world does hear good things about the church. They do. Definitely. The world does hear good things about Christians, but their response often is mocking, scorn, and making fun of us. They make fun of the book that we believe in. They make fun of the the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we've been taught to die to ourselves. They make fun of it all. They make fun of it to the point where they start attacking your character and your integrity. You have to understand the enemy plays dirty. And oftentimes you face the enemy, not like face to face with the devil, but with some person that's cooperating with his plan. It's usually someone that the enemy has used to try to come against you, like these guys. And, and you, should, you shouldn't be surprised of the nastiness of the enemy. He's nasty, man, and he'll go right after you. He'll go right after. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the ways the enemy is attacked is he takes that which you value the most. Let, let's just say that you consider yourself a very honest person, very trustworthy person, and you, you are. I mean, you're not perfect, but you're very honest, very trustworthy. You, you're reliable. Uh, you know, people are going to, you're going to give them a, you're a straight shooter. You're going to give the truth. You're, that's how you are. So what does the enemy do? He sends people into your life that, that call you a what? A liar. You're a liar. You're, dis, you're dishonest. Oh, you don't know everything about so-and-so. And what does that make you do? Get super defensive. And now you're not too concerned about honesty, fidelity, abiding in Christ. Now you just want to defend yourself. And that's a trap. Who cares what the enemy says? If you're honest and trustworthy, let it stand on its own merits. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Let the enemies do whatever they're going to do. And sometimes you have to just go back and go, hey, look, you know what? You're not, what you're saying is not the truth. These guys are lying. I mean, that, that, that's how the enemy works, you know. He, he will say the exact opposite of the truth. Rebel against the king. You Bible students know in Nehemiah, Nehemiah's there with permission and money from the king. He's not there to rebel. He has the full permission. But man, you got to understand as you step into this new year and you start caring, you're going to hit resistance. People are going to flip out and you're going to experience warfare you've never seen before. It might even be in your own home, your own marriage. It could be people that you knew. It doesn't matter where it comes from. You just got to keep your eyes on the Lord. That's what Nehemiah is like. Hey, no, you're wrong. You have no heritage here. We're going to go build the wall. I'm not taking my hand off the bricks to mess with you. I'm going to build the wall because the people are vulnerable. You know it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said anything. And they can see it. As these men want to take advantage. They didn't even know what they're talking about. And if you want to study Nehemiah verse by verse, we did a couple studies of the tactics of the enemy. How familiar these things are 
where they come with ridicule or mocking or making fun of you or lying about you. It's all the same. God has already shown us how the enemy works. And Nehemiah, he responds in God's authority. And we leave here today in God's authority. God will prosper us. And it doesn't matter what you do, God will win. And these walls will be rebuilt. And the temple will be rebuilt. Worship will return. And we're going to do what God has called us to do no matter what's happening all around us. And my encouragement to you is to stick close to God this year. Abide in Christ. And be deeply concerned about people that have been destroyed by sin. It's it's not going to profit us if we point the finger and go, well, you know, it's their fault and it's their fault. It it doesn't matter whose fault it is. They're hurting. And hurting people, they need to experience the love of God. They need to not only hear it, but experience it. And as we enter into a new year, I know that God, as you stick close to Him and you're deeply concerned about loving God and loving people, He will surely bless and honor that. Amen? So Father, we come to you as we come to a time of communion as we remember your body and your blood. And man, it's heavy stuff at the end of the year, but like you want your church mobilized. You want something different from us. We're just otherworldly, Lord. Forgive us for not being so otherworldly. We're afraid ourselves and we're concerned and it's overwhelming, God. And I know that some haven't really been men and women of the word this year, so it's been harder. I know that some among us men and women haven't been praying this year. It's harder. I know that there have been so many other things that have made life harder for us. There's deep pain in this room, deep grief, deep anxiety. And I just pray, God, that you would comfort and encourage, strengthen. You would remind us that you're the God of all comfort that you would remind us that you will provide all that we need according to our riches in Christ. That you would remind us, you promised, you gave us a promise if we seek you first, all these things will be added unto us. You promised us that there would, if we devour your word, you would minister comfort and encouragement. You, you promised us if we forgive that you'll remove the bitterness. You promised us so much in the word that we need to go back to telling our story of how good you've been to us. Not what we're losing, not what we think we're going to lose, but rather how good you are and how good you've been to us. And of course, we pray for our governmental leaders, Lord. We pray for the moral laws, that uh, walls that have been broken down. We pray, God, for the peace of our country. But we know if it doesn't come, that we will trust you and help people who have no connection with you. I pray for those that are backslidden right now. I pray right now, I just sense somebody listening to me has caught up in some doctrine and they're more all they do is talk about doctrine instead of talking about you Jesus and I just pray for them like doctrine's so good but it doesn't come before you and that doctrine flows from the truths of your word and and I just know they're all caught up in it their parents are upset about it and they just it's a young person and I pray for their parents just sad But more than anything, Lord, I pray for those among us near and far that have never placed their faith in you. I pray, God, that you would draw them near through the conviction of sin and bring them to a place of surrender today. And that's for you. And I know we're praying in the room right now, but you're not praying because God has been speaking to you. And God is asking you 
to consider your life. And he's commanding you to repent of your sins. That if you would do that today, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's your greatest need today, to be saved. That you would believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live for you, to die for you on a Roman cross, to pay the full price of all of your sin. And he rose again the third day and is alive today, calling you into a relationship with him. And so if you're here in this room, maybe downstairs, and you would say, Ed, I want to follow God. Would you just stand to your feet? Because I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. God bless you on the side here. I want to help you do this. God bless you. This last service that we have, I want to help you. We saw that in a previous service. Even some that didn't respond, but they responded sitting down like God was working in their hearts. God bless you guys. That's what he's doing. Every time we gather, he's always working in hearts. Always, always, always. That's why we pray for our family and we pray for our kids and we pray for our grandkids because God can do anything instantly, just that fast. That's the God we serve. God bless you guys. He wants to change lives and families right now. He wants to do that. You guys that are online, maybe you're out from out of town and you're joining your family, watching on a screen. Hey, God is ready to save your soul. Listening on the radio live, you're like driving through Denver, driving on I-25. You're like, ah, oh, this Christian station. What's this guy talking about? He's talking about the love of God and God's great care for you who not only does he say it, but he proved it by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and me. So for those of you that stood, those of you that are still sitting and you need to get right with God, I want to help you obey what the Bible says to confess with your mouth. So I want to lead you in a prayer where you can talk directly to God. You ready? You can say something like this. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I'm asking for your help, God, to repent and renounce my sinful past and to live my life completely for you. And Father, I know anyone, anywhere that would cry out to you, you hear them, and you are changing literally the course of their life. And forgive us for making light of it. And forgive us for thinking you're not working anymore. And put a passion in our hearts, Lord, to help others follow you. And I pray for them. May they be encouraged today. And we would be encouraged too. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.